friends, welcome back to another episode of the In No Hurry podcast. I am your host, Colt Douglas Claiborne. So happy to be back with you guys for another episode this week. I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving and were able to spend it with family and friends and have some time to relax and rest. And that's actually the topic of this week's conversation. This week, I'm talking with John Seidel. He is the author of a new book that just came out. It is called Finding Rest, A Survivor's Guide to Navigating the Valleys of Anxiety, Faith, and Life. And I'm just really excited for you guys to hear from John. This is his first book. And so as a writer myself, I'm excited to have you guys hear his thoughts on writing and the book process and everything about that. But the content of his book, I think, is so necessary right now. And so super excited to introduce you to him. But real quick, the music that you hear in the background is from my good friend Ryan Allwart. And if you have not listened to my previous episode, I highly encourage you to do that after you listen to this one. Ryan was the very first guest I ever had on this podcast. And in the last episode, we celebrated two years of this podcast launching and being around. And it was just a fun conversation talking about creativity and life and art and just kind of processing the last year of our lives. And I always enjoy having him on and talking to him. So if you have not listened to that, I highly encourage you to go do that. I am super excited about this week's conversation. Here is my conversation with John Seidel. Well, I'm excited to be joined today by a new friend. We realized we followed each other on Twitter, had never actually uh, conversed over the phone or over Zoom or anything, but I'm joined by John Seidel today. John is the author of a new book that just came out called Finding Rest. And John, I'm excited to talk to you. Welcome to the show, man. So excited to talk with you. You know, it's so funny in this day and age. I've, I've made a lot of connections on Twitter or through social media. I mean, there are some people that I consider really good friends that I've never met in person Yeah. Um, that I've only talked with on Twitter or that that was the introduction. So it is kind of funny in this new age that that can happen. Yeah, it's kind of the way it goes. Like I, I, I've met a lot of people just through doing this podcast that I've never met in person, but I converse with them regularly. Kind of like you're saying, I converse with them regularly on social media now that I, I probably talk to them more than I talk to some people that were good friends at one point in my life from school or whatever. Yeah. So it's just kind of cool. It's, it's kind of cool how God connects people and uh, you kind of meet people through other people. And I think that that's been one of my favorite things about podcasting is really just meeting other creators, other people that are, are writers, other people that, you know, do similar things to what I do and other, just other believers and other interesting people. That's been the most fun part about it. So we will jump in, I guess. Uh, this book that, that you just wrote, uh, well, I guess you wrote it probably a while back, just came out, Finding Rest. Uh, it, it is, I, I've seen so many people post about this, and I've not gotten a chance to read it yet. I'm really excited to get a chance, get, get my hands on it and read it. But what's been the reception for you? I know that it's kind of shot up the Amazon charts. I've been That's been exciting to see that for you. This is your debut book too, I believe, right? Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Uh, my first book, I mean, I've been writing for years. I've been in digital media for 15 years. Um, I think I've written over at over 6,000 stories and yeah. at this point that I think I last calculated that a couple of years ago because yeah. um, it takes a little bit to calculate that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, um, so, yeah, it's just been, I've been just blown away at hit number 67 bestseller on uh, Amazon's top 100. And Amazon actually ran out of books at the end of last week. They had to order more because it was selling so well. Wow. And I don't, I don't say it to puff myself up. I actually say that because it just confirms that there, this conversation needs to happen. And th that conversation being about mental health, but specifically about mental health in the church and how 
Christians can have um, the tools needed to, to fight this properly. I think so many times or for so long in the church, Christians have felt lost. They felt secluded. They felt debined if they have these issues. And instead of people offering, you know, hope, they've offered a lot of just like trite phrases or what I call coffee cup Christianity, just like if it can fit on a coffee cup, like here you go. You know, I call it, I call it greeting card gospel. Yeah. Okay. Great. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) We both love alliteration apparently. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. So So the full title was finding rest, a survivor's guide to navigating the valleys of anxiety, faith, and life. So uh, those people that haven't found this book yet, or haven't uh, seen it on the shelves, that's kind of what's, that's where this book hangs out. So you, you, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just I was no. re- reading, the, reading the full title there. I wanted to make sure I, I read that. I mean, this this past year has just been crazy, I think, for everybody in their mental health. You, you talked about how it seems like the the response to the book has proven that there's people looking for answers and people looking for, for resources to deal with their mental health. And my, my wife is a mental health therapist. And so I kind of see, uh, I guess, I guess the front lines of it. I mean, I hear mm-hmm. you know, stories that she deals with. I'm a, I'm a high school teacher. So I see it from that perspective of yeah. things that students are going to going through as well. So this past year, I mean, it's just, it's been tough. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, it's just been really, really tough past year and a half, really. Absolutely. What, what, uh, when did you start writing this book? Was it pre pandemic or was it during the pandemic? Kind of how, how did your idea for this book come about and how did the pandemic and everything that, that, surface from that uh, factor into this as well. Yeah. So the origins of the books actually start in about 2016. So I was diagnosed in 2014. And then in 2016, I was working for an organization called I Am Second. Yeah. And a lot of people know them for the great films that they do, you know, white chair, black shirt, overhead light. Right. And I was hired to create a writing engine that rivaled the, the, the production value and the openness and, and realness of the films. And so I hired a team of contributors and we were putting out great articles. And I kind of just like got that tap on my shoulder from the Holy Spirit that said like, hey, John, like you're asking a lot of people to open up about mental health, but even just other things. And there's something that you could open up about. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, anything but that, you know, and like, it just kept getting stronger and stronger. And so finally, I said, like one day I like locked my office door. I sat down and I wrote out an article called it's time to tell the world my secret. And my secret being that I was diagnosed with anxiety and OCD two years earlier and, um, and was taking medication for it. I mean, that was a big component as well, because I think that has been stigmatized in the church a lot. Yeah. And so I tell the world my secret in that article and the response I got was absolutely incredible, but also absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. Just so many people who said like, thank you. But like, I, yeah, I've been suffering in silence for a long time. You know, there was one that's like, my dad's a pastor and I couldn't take medication for this, you know? Um, uh, you know, one, one guy's like, I, I'm sure you're never going to read this, but this article just saved my life. And I'm like, Oh my Lord. And so at that point I realized like, this is a conversation that needs to happen in depth. And, and so, you know, uh, not everything is like, Oh, okay. I got a publisher like within a year. It's like, you know, I, so I, I knew that I needed to start writing about this more. So I started writing about it more and, and then was introduced to an agent and a publisher. And ironically enough, I signed the contract for this book in January of 2020. So like, like when, 
you know, people were just kind of commenting on this weird virus in China, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, oh, it's over there. And, you know, then within, you know, two months, like the whole world is shut down. And, um, and so it couldn't come at a better time. And so it was, uh, you know, fortuitous uh, on, on one hand. And then on the other, it's like, you know, it, it, I was able to incorporate some of the stuff that we are all going through. A lot of people never experienced anxiety until the yeah. pandemic. I mean, we knew it was a big thing before, but it became something where just your quote unquote regular Joe is now experiencing this. And it's like, what is this? what is this? And I'm like, welcome to the family, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, so there are aspects of it, of the pandemic in there, you know, just friends and pastors that I've talked to that I included in there that are like, I've never experienced this, this before what's going on. Yeah. Well, let me help you. <laughs> yeah. I'm always fascinated. Like whenever I get to talk to writers just about the writing process and how they came about mm. writing a book and, you know, for a story like this, a book like this, I mean, it requires you to be super vulnerable. What, what was maybe the, the most challenging part of writing this book, but also on the other hand of that, what, what have you found to be the most rewarding part of it? So I, th I think two things were the most challenging. One, um, I did grow up in a faith tradition and in a family where um, we were told if you just have enough faith, if you just pray yeah. hard enough, if you just repent, like everything will work out, you know, yeah. like you don't have to worry about about anything else. Yeah. And so then that means I was also raised in a family that medication for mental health was just like off limits. Right. You know? um, now, since then, my family has changed. And I thank God for that. But that's that was my reality. So it was also it was hard to write about some of those things. You know, um, my mom is my mom read the book. Right. And I, yeah. there was a conversation with my mom that I, that I go into detail with, you know, because I know there are a lot of people like, like me having those conversations with family members that are tough, that don't end well. Yeah. And so I had to write about and be open with, with the audience about this conversation with my mom, knowing that my mom was full well going to read this book, you yeah. know? And so that was tough. You know, you're like, Oh, um, the other thing is, even when I first came out at I am second um, about my diagnosis, there's always been a tinge of fear that, you know, whether it's employees or employers or friends or anyone, like I never want to be dismissed because of my diagnosis. And so I think especially that does play out in a work setting where you never want a boss or a coworker to be like, well, that's just, that's just the anxiety talking, John, you know, that's yeah. just the OCD, John, right? Like right. you're, you're, you're harping on this point, not because it's a legitimate point, but because you can't get it out of your head, you yeah. know? And, and I don't want that. Right. I've since like, just had to give that to God and be like, God, you have, this is what you've placed in my life. I'm walking through this door and I'm going to give that to you. And it kind of does come back to the fact that part of the spiritual deeper roots of my anxiety and OCD, which is both a spiritual problem and a physical problem. Yeah. And we can talk about that, but is I have a tendency to want to rely more on what I can control and I can't control that. I can't yeah. control what people think about me when they hear that I have that diagnosis. Right. So those two things were, were really tough. I think as far as what's been the most incredible is the responses that I've gotten even just since the book. I mean, friends, family members, people that I haven't talked to, people that I would like, last time I talked to them, I was a freshman in college and they said, hey, you know, this was a, 
a young woman that that messaged me just this week that said, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but, you know, we met freshman year college, and I just want to let you know that um, my husband and I have been following you ever since you first opened up about your diagnosis, and you, we were struggling because my husband was just like you, but he didn't know what was going on, and we didn't know what was going on, and you gave a voice to what he was experiencing, and that doesn't mean that everything has gone away, but we now know how to fight it, and I was just like, you know, I'm an emotional guy anyways, you know, I start yeah. bawling. <laughs> yeah. you know? and, and so that has been the most rewarding. I mean, listen, we, you know, I got my first bad review on Amazon from someone who is the, the exact person that I preach against in the book. The person that says, just have enough faith, just pray about it, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And, you know, as an OCD person, I tend to focus on those bad things yeah. a little more than the good things. Right. Yeah. But those good things have come in waves in a yeah. good, in, in, and have been so helpful. So that has been the most rewarding is to hear yeah. people say, thank you for giving me a voice, which yeah. is in the introduction. I tell people, I'm going to tell your story by telling my story. And yeah. God has been faithful in that. Man, it is so refreshing to hear. And I, I, I'm speaking, especially as a man, because mm. we, we live in a society and, and thankfully, I mean, I feel like at least in the circles that I'm, that I associate with, it's not necessarily this case anymore, but there are some people that like, they, like I've heard students who have felt like this too. That some of my students, they're raised to believe that as a man, they, they're not supposed to show emotion. They're not supposed to feel emotion. They're not supposed to express weakness. emotion. It's weakness. And if you, if you have, like, if you get teary eyed, that's weakness. And it's just like, to me, I find that to be so toxic, not just, as a, as a theory, but it's toxic to that individual who, who lives through it. Like I'm a very expressive person. I'm a very emotional guy as well. I'm a four on the Enneagram. Like I feel very deeply about things and I just have always been like that. And I, I'm very thankful that I was never raised in a, in a home where I felt shame for that. But I know plenty of people whose lives later on have been affected because they, they just bottled so much pain down, never expressed it. So I guess from that perspective, First, I mean, thank you for being willing to share your story because I think it's just it's important. But uh, what is your perspective on that as a man of just like, yeah. you know, we're, we live in this culture where we're kind of told sometimes that that's it's bad to share that emotion. It's bad to feel that maybe it's even wrong. And here you are kind of hitting it head on. I'll tell you what. So, so you, you um, said something earlier that you like to know the writing process, right? Yeah. And just how that works. So yeah. let me tell you this. When I'm putting together the proposal for the book, they ask you who your audience is. Right. And I worked for Kirk Cameron for, for many years, and I know that women are the ones who tend to buy books, right? Yeah. It's just, that's just the reality of it. And so in my, audi- in my audience in the proposal, you know, I put like, in general, the audience for the book is going to be w- women, not because like I'm writing necessarily for women, but they're just the ones that buy books. You know, yeah. I just know that. And what I have been so um, happily surprised about is how many men have reached out to me and responded to the book and how many men are buying the book. I mean, I don't have like, I don't have like concrete numbers and I'm sure there is still more women than men just because that's how, how it all always uh, shakes out in the industry. But the amount of men who are responding at least has been huge. And so that it's, it's, it's actually, you know, I'm starting to ruminate on what, what the next book is going to be about. And that's popped into my head, right. Is, is, you know, for all the great things that Brene Brown has done, you know, her audience tends to be women and women have responded to that, but there's not a, um, 
there's not a lot of people calling men to like be more open, you know? And I think the more that men in our society will are, are willing to say, Hey, I have a problem, you know, Hey, I have an issue. Uh, The better off we as a, as a society are right. Um, because, because that means that more people are being vulnerable. And so I am a huge fan of vulnerability. And I will say I became a crier, if you will, (laughs) When I saw, I'll never forget, man, I haven't told anyone this story, uh, but when I, I was growing up, I don't know, maybe I was in junior high and my parents were divorced, but I would go over to my dad's house frequently for dinner or, or whatnot. And then we'd have dinner and we'd watch TV and my, we were sitting there in the early years of extreme makeover, not extreme makeover, home edition, like extreme makeover, like where, where before home edition became like the big thing. And I remember there was a transformation of this woman who like, like it just did so much for her. Right. And she started bawling and I look over at my dad and my dad is bawling and my dad's not necessarily like a machismo guy. Right. But he's not like, I'm like, he's not an emotional guy and he's just bawling. Yeah. And I start crying, not because of what I was watching on TV, but because I was watching my dad cry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like, even just that little moment for the rest of my life kind of shaped me for like, it's okay to be, it's okay to be in tune with your emotions. Right. Yeah. And so the more that we can exemplify that, I think the better. That's it's refreshing to hear that too, because that's sort of what like my, as a writer myself, my, if you want to put air quotes around it, my brand, I try to put that as like, I'm a male who's open to be vulnerable. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to be vulnerable. I've written a lot about comparison. The book that I'm writing is about comparison, which is sort of, uh, I guess, a cousin of kind of what we're talking about here. A lot, not a lot of men want to talk about the fact that they have a hard time comparing themselves to other people. That's mostly something you hear in kind of the mm. female circles, but it's like, that's, you know, like, I think what you're saying is true. It's like the more that we identify that male or female, but especially, you know, you and I are talking as men, like that's a, that's a big thing when men can say, I've got this, uh, internal issue. I've got this heart issue that I not only want to identify, but I want to give it to God and I want to address it. And I want to share this with other people who might resonate with this story yeah. as well. I think it's beautiful. So I think it's a, that's a, it's, I'm excited to read this book. And I just, I feel like, uh, so much of, uh, so much of what you're saying resonates with me personally. So I'm just, I'm excited to read it. So, uh, well, talk to me then about, uh, I guess, just how have you personally navigated the pandemic with own mental health kind of stuff? I mean, how have you gone through this and maybe what are people in your circle? What's kind of been the, I I like talking to people about this just because it's something we'd all have experienced, but what's Mm -hmm. kind of been your way of navigating through this? How have you uh, learned to lean on Jesus through this, this season and that sort of stuff? So, you know, talk about navigating, right? That's, that is, you know, it's in the subtitle of the book. And so what is important there is even just in your question is something that I readily admit is that I am still navigating this. Right. And so one of the things that I don't pretend is that I have kicked this, I've overcome this, like this is a a thing in the past. I mean, listen, do I believe in a God of miracles? Absolutely. Could God take this away at any minute? Absolutely. He could, he hasn't. Okay. So then what, you know, 
And so for me during the pandemic, this has been an ongoing process. And so there are times where I need to open up my own book Mm -hmm. and preach to myself and practice myself the things that I talk about in the book. In fact, I've started one of those this week. One of the things I realized, so again, I mentioned that this is a physical problem and it's a spiritual problem, right? Mm -hmm. For me, uh, I can't address the spiritual until I address the physical, right? So if the spiritual issues are, like I said earlier, uh, uh, pride, wanting to control everything, a, um, a, a lack of trust in the things that the Bible and Jesus say, I can never, I can never fully address those until I've addressed the physical aspect of the miss, the 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 the, the miss, the synapses in my brain misfiring, the serotonin levels being different, and so I I take my medication. I also do other things. I I need to exercise. I need mm-hmm. to get sunlight. I need to make sure that you know I'm not uh, what I'm eating and drinking is is better than what it yeah. has been. And one thing I realized during this. Uh, just even in the last book launch over the last month is, is I paused my gym membership because I just have been doing so much, right. You know, writing and getting things ready and like all this stuff. And I realized I paused mine, but for just other reasons, I just didn't want to go. That was, (laughs) that was my reason. (laughs) And I was just like, you know, I found myself being more anxious, some depression creeping back in a panic attack. I'm like, John, you haven't been physical. Like you haven't been getting active. So like this week I started, you know, I dropped my daughter off at school. I come home, I go for a walk and I just be, I just get in the sun. I just get active, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes today. It was an hour. I just, I just got out and walked. And what I have found is that has been not just exercise, right? I'm not just saying, well, if you just exercise your anxiety, you'll go away. No, it has to be in chorus with things, but in, in chorus with my medication and the spiritual work that I'm doing and counseling and all those things is that's when I have found the most relief. So those are the things I've been actively trying to practice during, during the pandemic is the very things I talk about in, 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 in the book. So that has been how I have navigated it. I know I had, I don't pretend that I've always done that. Well, you right. know, even as I'm launching a book on this, you're like, well, John, shouldn't you have been doing all those things and know all those things that you, and I'm like, yeah, well, get, get, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not pretending <laughs> that I have this kicked. There's a chapter in the book called an ongoing battle and I talk about it and I live it and I remind myself of it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I, it's just, it, I think everybody it's, it's looked different for, for everybody. I know that just hearing some stories that my wife has dealt with, you know, just people are going through things I can never imagine. Then you add a, a pandemic on top of it, the isolation and that sort of stuff. It's just been, it has been challenging. And you, you kind of hit on this earlier, and this is an area that you're probably going to know far more than I will, but you're, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier just about that. Like you just got to have more faith uh, idea that, that sentiment and where, what is kind of the, I'm trying to think of how to ask this, but there, my guess is there are probably still some people in the Christian space, the church, world that maybe don't embrace either vulnerability. They don't, they don't embrace therapy. They don't embrace medication. Uh, I granted in my, in my life, that has not been a problem with either of those, but I, 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 I'm willing to bet that that is probably at some part across the country. There are people that probably still hold true to like medication is not for this kind of stuff is not good. I don't know. Whenever you're writing this book, 
did you did you study that aspect of it where um, there's still resistance to treating this stuff scientifically rather than just like you just got to pray it away kind of a kind of a dynamic? So funny you say that. So when I in the process of writing this book, you know, which is about a year process, and then there's, you know, like I said, I was writing on this topic even before then. I remember getting a message on Twitter um, from something I put out, and someone, it, it was something along those lines of like, you know, we we need to, we need to stop thinking that this is just something you can pray away or have enough faith or need to repent of. And someone on Twitter responded to me like, John do people even really think that way anymore? You know? And I said, yes, yes, they do. Fast forward. I will go. If you go to Amazon and look at my book, you will see that it has mostly five-star reviews, right? There is one, one-star review. And that person took a lot of time to lay out the exact thing that you're talking about. Wow. That if you just have enough faith, we have been given authority. We can tell it to go away. This is, you know, all the things, all the things that are rampant, I think, in the church, even underground, right? And then what I would say, and I point this out in the book, is there are some people who would say they don't believe that, right? And yet there are some undercurrents that exist that are still a part of it. And here's what I mean. I talk in the book about my friend, Matt, who is a great guy, like one of my really good friends. And he is a, um, uh, I go to church with him. And he is, you know, theologically really sound guy. And uh, he started going through some of these anxieties during the pandemic to the point where he, he, was, he was having panic attacks. He was thinking he was going to get it and die. And I started encouraging him to go to counseling, maybe talk to a doctor about medication. And his response back to me was, I just, man, I just don't know. Like, I I." I just feel like I need to, I need to, I need to like pray about it some more. And I'm like, Matt, that is the exact, like, I, I think it's a prosperity gospel type teaching, right? That says, if you treat God like a vending machine, if you give him X, Y, and Z, he will give you ABC, right? Right. right. I can, I can throw in the, the quarters in the vending machine. I'm going to get out health, you know? Right. Oh, well, God would be disappointed in me, right? Like that was what Matt was saying. And I pointed that out to Matt and it just like blew his mind. He's like, oh my God, you're right. That is a kind of prosperity like type uh, 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 thinking. And so I think it is more prevalent, even just the very blatant, just having a faith, but also in, in kind of some of these, th these tentacles of it that say, well, maybe I just should do all this other stuff first. And I would say, listen, do, do the other stuff, right? But don't, don't completely ignore the fact that God has given us common graces. And yeah. that's what my medication is for me. It's a common grace. Yeah. Just like if you have a bacterial infection, if you have a staph infection in your leg, you're going to go to the doctor and you're going to say, doc, I have a staph infection in my leg. And he's going to be like, great. Here's this awesome antibiotic. It's called penicillin. And <laughs> it's going to clear off the staph infection. And you yeah. wouldn't think twice about it. Yeah. You know, we have a broken leg and we go to the doctor, but we think twice about going to the doctor for a broken brain. Yeah. And that type of thinking just really needs to change. And the yeah. last thing I'll say about it is this, and this is actually, uh, I was doing an interview the other day and um, I was making this point and the interviewer said, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, John, like if, if I know that I have to read the Bible and I go to read the Bible, but I don't have my glasses on and I can't, 
I can't read the Bible without my glasses. I can't see what's actually the words on the page. And I said, exactly. That's what medication is for me. That's what treating the physical aspect is for me. It, it allows me to put on the glasses so then I can actually read the word, if that yeah. makes sense. So I can actually do the spiritual work. Yeah. Yeah. You hit on exactly what I was going to ask about next was like, how do we balance the scientific part of it while still having faith and not like, I don't think the fact that you go to a doc, like you, you go to a doctor to get treated for whatever, like that doesn't mean you don't have faith in God. It just means that you're, you're utilizing the great knowledge that he's given us with the medical field and the doctors and medicine and that sort of stuff. So uh, I think what you're saying here is absolutely perfectly is perfectly on point so that you kind of, you kind of answered you know the what? question before I'll, I even I'll, asked it. <laughs> Go ahead. I'll add this last thing. And, and I, and I'm, and I talk about this in the book. If you go to the book, I believe it's first Timothy. If you go to the book of Timothy, there is this, um, it's basically a conversation from Paul to Timothy, right? He's, he's, he's writing to Timothy. And Paul says to Timothy, and it's this really interesting verse. And if you look at it in the ESV, it's literally, it's like a parenthetical phrase. Paul goes, um, and now I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, but Paul goes, <laughs> hey, Timothy, I, um, I think you should take a little wine for your frequent stomach ailments. And it's just like, wait, what? Where did that come from? You know? And like, I'm not, by the way, recommending everyone treat their anxiety or OCD or depression with wine. That's not what I'm saying. But what, but that tells us something, right? It tells us that Paul is telling Timothy, here's a physical way to treat a physical ailment, right? He's not saying, uh, Timothy, so I, I hear you're having a lot of stomach, stomach pain and stuff. Um, really need you to have a little bit more faith, brother. Really need you to pray about it more. No, he's like, hey, hey, uh, wine, uh, take some wine for that, which wine back then did treat a lot of things, right? They, yeah. they, they treated a lot of things with wine. So he literally gives him a physical prescription for a physical problem, right? Yeah. My brain is a physical issue, right? The stuff going on in my brain, my anxiety it is a physical issue. I'm not saying it's not a, a, a spiritual issue, and I can't say that enough. Yeah. But even Paul, you know, the thorn in his flesh. He's like, he's like, Lord, take it away. Take it away. I'm praying. I'm praying. Take it away. And the Lord doesn't take it away. And he says, okay, now I need to, now I need to, uh, 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 believe that the Lord is doing this for a reason. Yeah, man, that's, that's really good. And as you're talking, I'm I was thinking just about your title, finding rest. And to me, like anytime that I've dealt with like I've never been diagnosed with anything uh, mental health wise, but I've gone through really dark seasons that I know like were very different than like I, you can tell when you're in your peaks and when you're in your valleys. And, and I know like whenever I'm in sort of those really dark seasons, it, my mind is going all kinds of places. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm thinking about so many things. So when I think about your title, obviously the name of the show is in no hurry, but I, what, how did you settle on that title of finding rest? What is, what does rest mean to you? So I think as someone who has anxiety, um, you know, what that is and, and OCD, and by the way, like my OCD is a subset of anxiety. And yeah. so everyone who has OCD has anxiety, not everyone who has anxiety has OCD. Yeah. Um, but when I, my anxiety is basically an overactive fight or flight response, right? So where, you know, where a quote unquote normal person gets an email from their boss and, you know, it's just like, hey, can we talk tomorrow about something? I just want to chat. You know, I receive stimulus like that and my body goes into fight or flight mode. Right. Yeah. And so I'm 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 constantly on edge. 
right? A lot of things in my life that don't put a normal person on edge, put me on edge, right? And then when the OCD kicks in, I can't stop thinking about that, right? So I'm on edge and now I can't stop thinking about, so I'm on edge for like hours, (laughs) you know? So as an anxious person, one of my greatest goals or one of my greatest desires is for rest, is to just be, you know, it's to, it's to not have to think about all the stuff that I, my brain wants to think about, right? So it's important then when I talk about finding rest, though, is I don't pretend that like finding rest is a process. It's not, it's not like this ultimate end goal. And so let me explain that for a second. We are in a war, right? I mean, the, 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 the war between, you know, the, the, in the spiritual realm and, and like all that kind of stuff. Right. And in war, there are moments of rest, right? You, you fight a battle, you go back, you recover, you rest, you rally, you, you know, you, you re, um, re-energize, like all that kind of stuff. And so my point about finding rest is it's not this like one-time thing that you're going to finally, finally get to at the end. It's actually these moments of respite that are in between and in the middle of the battles, right? So what I try to explain to people is here are the tools to give you rest and respite between battles. And then, you know, I had someone say, well, help me understand that a little bit better. And I said, okay, think about this. We are given the armor of God, right? The armor of God implies that we are going to have battles right? So if in the Bible, the Lord is talking about coming to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But then there's also Paul talked about the armor of God. Well, those two things have to live together, right? So it means that in between the battles, you can have rest. In between the battles where you need that armor of God, you can have rest. And that's what I try to explain. And that's what I'm hoping people find in the book. Man, that's, that's so good. It's just crazy how like, you're talking and it's like so many of these things that you're that you're speaking of are things that I have written about that I have like the, the premise of my book is kind of using the idea of armor, but more so in the sense of like whenever we are comparing ourselves, we put on various types of armor to either protect mm-hmm. from certain feelings or to project certain feelings, those sorts of things. And it's like, it's just cool to see how like it just between you and me, like, it's just cool to see how God is like brought certain stories into my life and weave people in and out and just hearing common themes. It feels like a lot of the, the people that I've talked to this year on this podcast, there's been a lot of common themes between what they've said. And and it's just, it seems like God is really working in people. And it's just really cool to see like this book that you're writing, how it pairs with another book that somebody else is writing. And it's like, just, there's all, like, I remember at one point, like when Jefferson Bethke and John Mark Comer, they both came out with books about rest and, and, stopping the hustle. And it was like, happened to be around the time that I was thinking of this podcast. And it was like, there's just been a lot of people talking about hurry and hustle. And it's like, it just feels like right now, there's a lot of conversations about what we're talking about right now. And it's, it's just cool to see how God kind of works in seasons and, and that sort of stuff. So just kind of a cool, little well, God I moment. cannot, I can't wait to read your book, brother. So, um, well, make sure you send it along when it is done. Yeah. We, a little bit long, as you know, long way to go with that. I'm I'm in the process of trying to find an agent, <laughs> trying to find an agent currently. So I've got the got the proposal done, but it's a it's a this is the first one I've written. So it's kind of a as you know, it's a long process. But um, mm-hmm. but so the final question I always love to ask my guests on the show it's called "In No Hurry." So in the in the spirit of your book, what what do you do to to slow down and 
not put yourself or maybe whenever you are in a hurry, what do you do to slow down? And like you talked about going on a walk earlier, but maybe what are some other rhythms that you have implemented or go to? Yeah. So there's a phrase that I write about, um, devote, devote a section to in the book that is really been important for me in general, right? We're told to focus on the bigger picture. For me, the bigger picture can be very anxiety inducing, right? Because my mind goes to what I call the tyranny of the what if, well, what if this, what if that, what if this, what if that? So for me, when I find myself in a hurry, what I try to do is I focus on the smaller picture. I focus on the littler things, right? I break things up into steps, into moments, into periods, into into whatever that are much more digestible. And so when I find myself just anxious and in a hurry and just going a million miles an hour, I need to focus on the smaller things, right? What is this hour going to look like? What is this morning going to look like? You know what? I'm not going to get so caught up. Like this morning, I didn't really look at my calendar until I was done with my walk. I was like, that's the thing. I'm going to be present. I'm going to be in the moment. So I think so many times we're told to focus on the big picture, right? You're losing sight of the big picture. No, for me to be in no hurry, I need to focus on the smaller picture. I need to break it up. And I I, I say this, it's like, like, listen, Anna was onto something in Frozen 2. Like, do the next right thing. You know, it's like, do the next right thing. And what I love about that song is it was actually written and out of, out of Kristen Bell, the voice of Anna's own anxiety and, and depression, like just get up and do the next right thing. Yeah. Breaking into smaller pieces, focus on the smaller picture. That's great. I love it. I, I, I love hearing people's answers to this. I think one of these days I want to put together like a compilation of oh, everybody's yeah. answer to that question. Cause it's always interesting. Like some people are, you know, they, they have like just interesting to hear their different rhythms, what they go to. Mm-hmm. We all have our own little thing. Like for me, like last year it was golf right now. It's kind of mostly just kind of just being like, it's just being like my cat was here kind of trying to say hi during our interview. I like, saw that. I like, saw that. Ha- like hanging out with, we have two cats, like hanging out with my two cats and hanging out with my wife. And that's kind of been my thing this year. So it's like, yeah, it goes through seasons and you just kind of ebb and flow and all that kind of stuff. So, well, John, where, uh, where can people buy this book? Obviously I assume Amazon anywhere else, but yeah, Amazon, wherever, wherever great books are sold. But <laughs> if you want a, a kind of portal to all of that, you can go to findrestnow.com, findrestnow.com. And um, that's, a, that's a page on my site that tells you everything that you need to know. You can sign up for my weekly email on these topics that I like to share, just little insights or where I'm struggling. Um, and so you can get everything there, findrestnow.com. And you're on social media too, where can people follow you? Absolutely. Twitter, so, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. John, at John Seidel on Twitter and Instagram, J-O-N-S-E-I-D-L. And then on Facebook, it's it's Jonathan M. Seidel. You know, I picked long ago, like when I first started writing, that that was going to be my my writing name. Yeah. And everyone just calls me John Seidel. And so it's like the one, it's like the one, the one social media that was, you know, back in the day. So Jonathan M. Seidel, and it's Jonathan spelled with an O. But again, you can even just go to that findrestnow.com page and uh, it, it'll be a portal even just to the the social medias. Awesome. John, this is great. I appreciate this conversation so much and really excited for people to hear this and also to read the book. So thanks for for joining. So, so, so much. I'm really excited to have been here. Well, that was John Seidel, his book, Finding Rest, a survivor's guide to navigating the valleys of anxiety, faith, and life. 
can be found anywhere that you find books. You can check the show notes for links to purchase that as well. But I really appreciate John coming on and talking about the heart behind this book and really just the true life experiences that led to it. And after the last two years that so many of us have gone through, I think the topic of this book is one that's relevant to so many of us. So I hope you guys will check it out. Hopefully you guys enjoyed hearing from John. Be sure to connect with him. And if you do, let him know that you enjoyed hearing him on this podcast this week. I'd also love to connect with you. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Cole Claiborne. You can also find my website, ColeClaiborne.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter, check out articles I've written, other podcast episodes, and anything else that you need to connect with me is on there as well. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you find some time to relax and not be in a hurry. And we'll see you next time out.